Prepare to enter the Elf Tree. Sound like a gremlin. Sorry, I had a little fit of rage going on. I had to um, had a crick in my neck. It's like somebody who has Tourette's. I lived with a crick in the back, uh, my backyard. A crick? Yeah, like a Jiminy crick? No, no, no. Like the you know the, the crick, the crick that you know has the water and and oh, a creek. Know. Yeah, yeah. Do people call it crick? Yeah, people call it crick. It's not a crick. It's called a creek. I didn't call it a crick. It's a creek. A crick is like the sound of a floor, like a wooden floor yeah, makes. Or, or a crick in your neck. Like but you're that just, would like be a said. creek. Yeah. Well, it would be a creek as well, but not the same creek as we were just talking about. So I just um, proved the word that you can call crick a crick. A creek a crick. Fuck. Yeah, but you can't itch a scratch. But you can scratch an itch. You can scratch an itch. That's true. Hi there, everybody. Hi there, everybody. I'm Ian. And my name is Sandra Bullock, and I took over oh for Oh, my Joe. God. <laughs> yeah that's joe you know it's it's, it's it's definitely joe it is i but sandra bullock could be doing a really good impression of joe she could be <laughs> on a bus going 50 miles an hour and needs keanu reeves aka neo but she's dressed as miss congeniality <laughs> you know in the or she's in, in her astronaut yeah outfit <laughs> her astronaut outfit like doing the fetal position. Oh man, you remember that part? That was yeah. It, was it when she was kind of in a um, in the womb? It was. The, it was very. Uh, it was very uh, of the Russian spacecraft. Yeah. yeah, that was kind of an isolating moment. The rebirth. Yeah, well, like, she was. She was deathly alone there. She was. Maddie's feasting right now. Well, she deserves it. She has had the piss scared out of her. She was losing it. Okay, Steve has this little drone. He flies around, and Maddie loses her shit. She she sees Fitz interacting with this thing, playing with it, trying to you know jump up and grab it, and yet Maddie is terrified. She's panting, shaking. Little... Nothing you can do to console her. Nothing. What, what is that? Like three, uh, eight inch by eight inch. You know, it's a small ass little toy. I mean, yeah. it's it's Made it makes a styrofoam. A, it makes a pretty hideous little whirring sound. It, it's very high pitched. You know, just piercing. But again, Fitz is jumping at it like. Psyched, wants to play with it. Maddie is just losing her shit as if like she was chased in her past life by uh, by by a swarm of these things. It's like bees. Maybe maybe she uh, maybe she was a drone blade in her past life and uh, went down in battle. I don't know. Like a oh, like a drone pilot. She was a blade, like one of the blades. And oh, you know, she in a past life from I a guess. UFO. Like I don't know. I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm That's making okay. shit up now. That's okay. Dude, what's uh, what's happening, man? What's happening, dude? Well, uh, there's uh, just we were talking about observances because it's we're about to. I'm about to observe the uh, two year, uh, two years passing since uh, a mentor of mine died, uh, and you know it's a uh, it, it on the surface it is what it is because you know people people pass away all the time, people die all the time, people. In any number of different ways you want to say it, people, you know, stop living. How do you uh, feel about that? About that concept in general? Yeah, like when you think of your own mortality. I remember. I remember when I I fully 
grasped what it is to like we're gonna die one day. What? How did you grasp it? Was it like an intense I rush through your body, or was it yes, like a? It was. It was a terrifying notion. Hmm. It was a terrifying notion because what do I do after that? All I have, all I know right now is my experience in the passage of time. Yeah. And so if when we die, we go up to heaven and we're just there in heaven for all of eternity. For me, that was like, like all of eternity is a long time. I don't want that. I want to yeah. fucking, yeah, I, that was the part that scared me. Well, it's because you're like, it's the concept that's taught at, in this human brain, you know, yes. in this programmed world that we live in. It's like, man, I don't want to like be in this, in, in another grid up in heaven. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? Like trying to figure out what would be freeing about heaven. And we don't know it because we live in a, in a grid. You know what I mean? So it's yeah. hard to imagine that. That's true. So it's like, man, and why, did, why does it have to be like gates? Like who the hell is protecting? What are they, what's being protected here? St. Peter is up there in the robes with the white beard, <laughs> you know, checking off names. Dude, I love like, oh, sorry. But uh, so ha, have you had a lot of people close to you pass away or is this like? Uh, I mean, grandparents, really. That's, that's about it. Um, uh, older, yeah. I mean, grand grandparents or or you know older generations. I mean, mostly it was people whose time it would have been. How long did it, you know? As uh, you're considering it, I guess your mentor, Walter. Um, I knew Walter since I don't know since I was probably 11 or 12 years old. You know, mm-hmm. so it's uh, so 15 years. You know, I knew him for a long time. It's a long time. It's half your life. Yeah, yeah. 15 or 16 years. Yeah, he was. Uh, he was there. You know for a lot of the formative stuff. Like we were, we just started more than half your life. You're not, you're not in your thirties. Well, that's true. That's true. Sorry. I wanted to clarify not to (laughs) people doing the math. Thanks. I, yeah, I appreciate you, you know, cause I don't want to feel, be be labeled (laughs) older than I am. Can you hear this? Yeah, the the air is on because it's the winter time, dude. I can see my breath outside, and I was taking Maddie. Yeah, it's a it's a snow day here in Los Angeles. It is cold. Yeah, yeah. I fell and busted my ass this morning. Oh, yeah, on the ice. Oh, okay. All the ice. Me too. You know that's out there. Uh, A a a icicle came down and took out my shoulder. Oh yeah, yeah. Maddie was Maddie was peeing icicles. I've collected them and I was selling them down. (laughs) By the he, train station, he used them as a as a darts in his blowgun. Yeah, I just put one big. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> all you got to write is lemon popsicle, and people buy them like crazy. That's right. That's right. Especially out of the back of a van down mm-hmm. by the river. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah, Walter was Walter was somebody that I met when I was like eleven years old when we started doing theater, and you know because he was the the technical director of the building. You know mm-hmm. that we we like mood everything in, so he was always he was always watching watching out for everything, doing a job essentially that I would be doing later on in life, um, but just making sure the building was taken care of, really, yeah, you know, if we had any technical issues like i mean you've have you you know what it is like do show, do live shows and stuff, but do yeah. you have any theater background or anything i like mean that? i've I've been and I've seen it, yeah, but I've never been in any like theater plays past yeah. uh, I think ten. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Well, yeah. but I mean, it's, it's, it's just all the, you grasp the concept of like sets have to be built and they got to be able oh, to yeah. be moved and things fly in and out. I mean, they do it on, on, you know, big concerts and stuff For like sure, that. Yeah. They'll fly, Katy Perry will fly in all sorts of shit. Oh yeah. 
You know, like if you were at like an award show, like yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, much. exactly. A live event incorporates all these kinds of mm-hmm. things, and that's what that's what Walter was was kind of in charge of was just making sure that the building was taken care of, in terms of people knew how they how to do the shit they were you know supposed to be doing. Make sure all the gears were nice and greased. Yeah, I mean he yeah uh, upkeep of the building, you know, fixing things that needed fixing. He then in turn throughout the the period of my life became like, uh, you know a pseudo shop electric you know all sorts of those kinds of teachers for yeah. me because oh you know, wow okay you know my parents you know we were all homeschooled and everything but my dad's not going to teach us wood shop all in the garage and stuff like that it just it that, why not what's larry say about it just that? didn't well it just didn't lend itself to that you know the 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 way the situation was you know doing theater building sets my dad didn't teach me either you so know it's okay. well <laughs> but, but like you might have taken wood shop in i did at school yeah, yeah so yeah. i mean you know Rather than my dad teaching us that, which you know we he did we 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 learned a lot of how to do stuff around the house from my dad. You know he would always fix everything. We would you know knew how to mow the yards and fix things and paint things and yeah, you yeah. know we, so we got those skills. You but, knew how to make some monies. But in order in in terms of like learning how to use tools and and build stuff, you know like from scratch, like sets and and. We actually built Walter's porch as well. Oh, nice! But Walter taught that us hard? All, all about how to do this, like I leveling mean, and. You know what? Since he was there, he had probably done most of like the leveling and the the like making sure the foundation was set, like the pillars and everything were there because it was on <laughs> yeah. his house. So I'm oh, sure nice. he did that and made sure that it was all level. And yeah. then at the point that we were there to like put the the slats on. Nice. He had us us four guys. It was me and my brother Simon and Cameron and, and oh, Shelby man. Cook. That's um, a cool uh, moment you'll never forget. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like we we built the things that we could build because we I mean we knew how to build sets and stuff like that. Nice. So slapping the 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 deck on and then the the railings and all that kind of stuff. And then like a week or two later, he had like the bigger group of of all the other family members, like my sisters and everybody came over and we all like stained and and varnished to the like finished to the deck and all that's cool you know, did a big deal of it it was did it was the fun. little step away and look at it and go man move that bus damn look at that thing like, stream yeah. makeover you know type of reveal <laughs> did you guys ever do like a um like once it was dry like a little party on the deck i'm sure we did i'm sure he did some sort of like cookout or, or something like that yeah ouija board or something yeah yeah it's like <laughs> everybody come over for seance <laughs> Dude, that's awesome. How long like did... erected an altar on this porch. <laughs> Here's your yoga mat. You must uh, get on your knees and pray for me. Oh, gosh. Um, so, okay, so he, you guys built this thing with him. You started building, like, this relationship where yeah, like you build was, sets with him. and He was an authority figure in that we, you know, he represented the building. First and foremost, he represented the building. We re- were clients of the building as, as being part of this this show, this theater show. Um, and so there was that relationship, but very soon he just kind of took on the, the, uh, I don't know. I mean, second dad fun yeah. uncle type of type of role up there. Um, every once in a while we would get in, into some trouble cause we would be supposed to, you know, like a, ready for a queue we were supposed to be somewhere and we were hanging out in Walter's office because he was a fan of he was a fan of YouTube videos. It's probably oh, nice. because of Walter that I really 
understood what YouTube was because he was showing me online videos before there was a YouTube. Oh, wow. He was showing us online videos when I was 13 years old, and that was in like 1998. Not like Rotten.com or anything like that. No, no, no. Just Check out the, this dead body. No, no, no. It was it was <laughs> things like uh, there's this one specific one I remember of this, this um, – News uh, people over the radio are saying, you know, this highway has to be shut down because there's a plane, you know, that's too big to run on the runways or whatever. And so it oh. needs to land on this highway. It's an emergency landing. And so, you know, it's this video is coming in. It's a 747. It's a, a fictional oh. video. Excuse me. It's been made. Oh, so this okay. isn't real. Damn so, it. But it's this video that's that's coming up. Yeah. And so it's all dramatic music. This plane's coming in. And suddenly on this lone highway that it's about to land on, it sees this little car just kind of puttering up the highway. Because this little little old lady hasn't really understood that things all been blown off. So they're like, oh my God, you got it. We're going to hit this lady. And so she's just driving and driving and driving. And uh, there's this whole dramatic thing while the plane lands and it like almost hits another car. And they were trying to get a hold of the lady and everything. And and the plane comes to a safe stop. And then as the. I don't know, somebody like the pilot like looks over and sees the old lady. She's like flipping the bird as she drives <laughs> right past the cockpit. And that's the funny part of the of the story. It's like this whole thing of this tense moment about this old lady's about to get hit by the plane. And she's just like, fuck you, you guys cut me off. And they saved her life. They could have killed her. Yes, it was it was that oh, was the, the purpose. But videos like that, Walter would show us. He also oh, um he would he had these series of jokes that were Little Johnny jokes. And little Johnny was this this kid. He was probably seven years old, six or seven years old, three or four years old in some of these jokes. I don't know. His his age always changed depending on what day it was. Walter was telling us this joke. Uh, not this joke. It was a series of jokes. <coughs> but he is the crudest little boy ever. And he'll like he'll say some of the nastiest things. And it was an excuse to it was an excuse just for crude, funny humor, dick, yeah. and, dick and fart jokes, essentially. But yeah. you know, on maybe you know a little envelope pushing scale, that, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're yeah. supposed to yeah. have. You I gotta feel push like that envelope. I feel like that's a you know was a at least a a, a pivotal moment, a pivotal part of my upbringing, where there was that that introduction of something that that was very funny to me. But wasn't anything I was ever going to hear from my dad, yeah, yeah, or from anybody who felt like they had to be a role model. Walter was like, "I'll be a role model, but I am going to be a fun role model because I think that I think that everybody should laugh and should think because these things are funny and yeah. things are you know things are great." And and he was. It was such a such an odd, uh, it was such an odd thing that I didn't really realize. It always felt like something you're not supposed to, you're not supposed to uh, be participating in what's happening but you're secretly you're just like man this is fucking funny this yeah is funny shit man yeah so you guys how many sets do you think you built alongside walter oh man or projects did you guys work on i mean close to 100 over wow. the years i mean yeah directly with walter but under his supervision for probably a hundred you know at Damn. least yeah it's a you know he and that that went on up until up until, well, I mean, he couldn't work anymore. Like I, one of the last shows I did was January of the year he was diagnosed with cancer. Mm. Very shortly thereafter, actually. Oh wow! So uh, it was, you know, that was, yeah. And how I, did, yeah? How did he bring that up to you? Mm. Like, did he sit you down? Like, 
did y'all have dinner or was it just kind of, let's not bring this up. I, uh, I don't know that I remember. I don't know that I remember finding out Walter had cancer. It just, you know, at least in my brain right now, it just, it's just there. Yeah. I can't, I can't remember that moment. It wouldn't surprise me if I've, if I've had to protect myself from that moment because, Mm. you know, (laughs) I can't protect myself from what happened afterwards later on, but I, I could protect myself from that moment that maybe I realized something's going to change here. You know, and that's that's probably not a very pleasant thing to mm. to remember. So I yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It probably came from my parents. Um if I if I were to if I were to think logically about it, it, it was probably something he told my parents and Shelby's parents and uh Rebecca's parents. Like the the three families that were all very close and close to him. He probably told the sets of parents and, and left it up to them to to tell us in the way that they uh, saw fit. Yeah, yeah. You know, because it's it's something that, <clears throat> I mean, he's almost like a peer, you know, to us. It was just he he forged that kind of relationship, and I think he did that purposefully. Yeah. So that you know he could he could be the, uh, you know, the older, wizened, responsible one of the guys, mm-hmm. which he absolutely was. You know, he he made us into into the guys that we are. Like I said, I mean, he he showed us various elements of our humor that that I never really would have would have uh, grasped onto from my natural sources at the time. You know, it just it was, man. You know, it, it, and it was great. I I'm very thankful for that. It's got to be interesting too, because you know, just the way you can see all the years that you got to spend with him he had his own perception of you guys like growing up around him yeah. and like uh, the way he kind of did, you know, I'm sure he would be like, yeah, I feel like I'm one of your uncles, you know? Yeah. And uh, what was, uh, what's like one of the funniest things about him, like humor wise, like what would he do? One of his, or like, you know what I mean? You know how yeah. everybody does certain things. I don't know. He was an authority figure that you wanted to get along with. And he did that by, I don't know. He did that by way of of. I mean, you said he you would ask? tell jokes with, uh, like, as a four year old, or was it always like a? It wasn't him as he. He would always just be him talking about this little four year old. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. You know, it's just the the little boy was the subject of these jokes, and nice. they were always kind of these, you know, <laughs> okay, just crude crude jokes. Just to it was, but it was funny. It was, I think, you know, in a in a. I don't know. In a summer camp counselor type of way, yeah, you know, uh, I I don't know why that's the that's the descriptor I ended up using. What was the question you asked? Oh, just like what some of his little quirks were, like okay, you know, everybody's got their own little things. He would do voices when he would show us certain videos on on <laughs> like there was a uh, there was a monkey video. This monkey that's climbing up a tree and turns around and it literally scratches its butthole with its fingers with its fingers sniffs it. And throws its arms up in the air and falls off. Literally does that. And every single time we would ever watch that video, if Walter was around, he would do these these the same little voice. commentaries. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and it was so great. It's just so funny. Yeah. You know, uh, it it would make us laugh nonstop. 
Man. Uh, you know, so so yeah, there were there were elements like that. Um he was he was always pushing boundaries and uh, uh, of new things. Uh, little aside, he's the first person I ever knew that owned, owned an MP3 player. Oh, damn. Yeah. It would look like a disc man. It was like this big. It was oh, a shit. nomad is what it was called. It's like the size of a brick. It probably held like, you know, 10 songs, 100 songs. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's I mean, pretty good for that time, right? Well, I guess. I mean, the iPad, the iPod, when it came out, held a thousand songs. Oh, well. It was the size of so a good. deck of cards. Damn. But that's the thing. That's why the iPod was such a revolutionary product at the time is because something that big could hold a thousand songs. Dude, I remember when I first got one, it was still new. An iPod? And so when people saw you with your iPod earbuds in, people yeah. were like, oh shit, you've got a fucking iPod. You've got iPod. An iPod. Dude, I remember that stuff. Yeah. I remember it, man. That yeah. was like when I was in college. That's so crazy. Yeah. Walter was Walter was the first person I knew to have anything like that. Um, he had an Xbox. Like, he loved to play video games. Oh, nice! What kind of games? Mostly Halo. Oh, that's cool. That's a great game. Walter would play. Walter would play Halo all the time. He would invite all of us over to play Halo, and it was usually, you know, five, four, anywhere between three and five, you know, twelve to sixteen year olds. Yeah. All hanging out with this forty-two-year-old man <laughs> who, you know, again was just our uncle. Like yeah. he was, he was as much a member of our family as as hanging out with our dads or our actual uncles or anything like that. Like for some reason, I, and I've I mentioned this to my parents a time or two, and they they said they they mentioned it to each other once and nobody was really that concerned with it. So they never really concerned themselves with the fact that it's like 12 to 13 year old guys hanging out with a 45 year old bachelor. <laughs> yeah, like, like he never married. Yeah. He, he, the only woman he ever talked about was this lady, Anne, who was kind of always his, you know, his date to things if, you know, and they would, they were they're really good close friends. I imagine there was, you know, as much of a, you know, connection there as, as Walter probably was going to have at that, you know, with, with, with anybody. Um, but you know, we never, we never questioned it. Apparently my parents, other than just once when they were all just like, this is, this is cool. You know, everybody's cool with this, you know? Yeah, cool. Yeah. Right. All right. You know? And then Walter was just, just part of the family. Like he yeah, would always yeah. be invited to parties and Christmas and all those kinds of things, you know, which was, which was awesome. It was awesome for us. And it was, you know, I think it was a, a way of, you know, him in inclusion in a number of different families since he didn't. And, and I never asked him this. I never got a chance to ask him if it was by choice or just never happened for him or whatever, but you know, he didn't have a family of his own. Well, he made you guys his community and vice versa. You yeah. guys made him. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's cool, man. Exactly. He he taught us a lot. Like, gosh, my parents taught us discipline in a lot of like schooling and household things, how to run, you know, a, a house in an efficient, effective manner. Like, I got a lot of discipline from learning things at the theater and and through dancing and stuff like that. And then Walter, like, with all sorts of technical things and, um, uh, you know, building and painting and all those kinds of things. Like I, I learned a lot of good disciplines from people, you know, which is, which it all comes from homeschooling. I will say that Walter was a, Walter was definitely a product of the fact that we were so available because we were homeschooled, yeah. you know, we could literally be up at the theater at 1 PM 
and be building sets up until rehearsal started at uh, 6 or 7 p.m. What was your favorite thing about building sets? I, I liked looking at something on a piece of paper, somebody being like, okay, so in order to achieve this, we have to do this and this and this, and we did it. And usually by the end of the day, it's like, oh, shit, we got this thing that looks like a, a you know, the, the picture, whatever it's, you know, it's all going to yeah. look. <laughs> and, and by the end of, you know, the five or six weeks you're building and painting and, and putting casters on, I mean, everything you were doing, you got a full-blown set. And then the fun part was at the end of it, striking. I mean, everybody hated strike because it, it took forever. But in the span of, you know, two and a half hours, it's all gone. Everything oh, is all man. taken apart, put back. What do you do with it? Uh, a lot of the, the platforms and flats and everything like that. Like all got broken down to their, their base, like frame, you know, sets. Take and the everything. peg legs off. Yeah, you take all the legs off, you take the wheels off. It would be just those platform pieces, like the flats or whatever. Uh, and they would usually all go across the street to a storage unit and they just, you know, everything goes in there. And so. Till the next set's needed, and then they go in there like with the okay, rats. I need these and these. Well, yeah, it probably it probably was not rodent free, but you know you probably was, shouldn't touch that, Billy. <laughs> well, everybody was, <laughs> yeah. but you know, I mean, it was. I learned how to use all sorts of tools and stuff from Walter and and all that. So yeah, he 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 took on that role willingly. Man, what was uh, what was the hardest project you guys ever worked on together? Ooh. Like one where you guys were like maybe butting heads or even just like, wow, how are we going to get, you know, we've got to build this or hiking a mountain. I don't know. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, the only time we would ever have any sort of difficulty with Walter is when we decided to push the edge, push the envelope of probably safety. So you'd push. Oh, OK. So he'd push uh, comedy envelopes. He would push comedy envelopes. He would be lighthearted about everything, even when you could sense a tone of, of, of seriousness in what he's talking about. But if we pushed it, if we pushed it a little too far, <laughs> he would that that joke would come out of of his you know, and he'd get like that stern, like, if you don't fucking listen to me, you're going to hurt yourself. Yeah. And so it's just like a, you know, you snap it, Maddie every once in a while when she's barking just to try and like distract her into obeying you essentially yeah, totally. paying attention beat her a couple times you know? <laughs> um peter okay you know there was a time you know in the theater where we would be moving this giant curtain that's on a runner so we couldn't just untie the curtain and tie it on to the next you know batten the next pipe that's flying up because it's a whole like chained on piece so at that point we'd have to and have those things are heavy they are heavy very very heavy we would have to have almost the entire cast Damn. like hanging on this pipe while a few of us would undo the chains and we'd be pulling the other pipe over and we'd be like hot swapping this thing. But we'd have to like twist the ropes on the other end and have a board there to like hold everything down. And then people were having to like hold on to the... Uh, wow, you guys were like wrestling a tiger down. Seriously. It's, I mean, th- uh, a couple thousand pounds. Damn. I would imagine. It's, it's a lot. It's... That may be exaggerating. Maybe <laughs> maybe a thousand, maybe fifteen hundred pounds. I mean, it's a lot. It's a lot of weight. So how how hard would that thing fling up if everyone just jumped off of it? I I mean, it would probably Wreck it would shop. probably crack the cement it was resting on. Oh shit! Like the foundation of the building, like where it was bolted oh, down. Yeah, damn, that would it'd not probably be good. come down pretty fast. <sighs> and it would it would throw all of the the pulleys all of the cabling and everything like that just everywhere you'd have to have the entire thing rerun 
Oh, that'd be a nightmare. It would be. It'd be pretty bad. But then it would have all this weight on it on the on the the rope side. Mm-hmm. But suddenly it wouldn't have this two thousand pound curtain hanging from it. So it would want to just fly up, and that's when you'd, you'd it would drop to the ground. The weights would drop to the ground. So we'd have to tie a rope to it, and like five or six of us like guys would just be like. <laughs> muscling like trying to not let this thing just fly away Shit. yeah it was bizarre hanging on for dear life yeah yeah so yeah. those were those were the the elements we learned how to keep a theater running fairly smoothly from walter man so when he was uh when he was diagnosed like how long did you guys have to really just kind of hang i mean the thing is we hadn't really hung with walter in a little while mm-hmm. and because he, when he left Garland, he moved first to McKinney, where he did some stuff. You know, he worked on a, he worked at a theater there. Um, he got really involved with Pyrenees dogs. Oh, he he was involved in saving Pyrenees, like in an organization that fosters these. Again, I'll say it a third time: Pyrenees dogs. <laughs> and um, <laughs> he had wait, what kind of? Dog? Yeah, they were great Pyrenees, actually. <laughs> oh, God. But they, uh, he had, I think he had three of his own by the end. Oh, um, wow. Damn. You know, three of his own, and then he would be fostering one. So or two he was a them. what lover? He was a, a great Pyrenees lover. <laughs> and a Dude, mother that's awesome, lover. man. A mother lover. Mother lover. Um, <laughs> yeah, he was, so he would do that. Was so in, at his house in McKinney, he would, uh, he had all this land so that the dogs could, you know, kind of run around. I never really went out to his house in McKinney. Oh. I I went and, and had lunch with him once out there, but most of the time I saw Walter was at work, like at his job at the McKinney Theater, or later on he moved out to Louisville, but I was, you know, we still did work with him because he would hire us for tech jobs and stuff like that because he knew he taught us how to do everything that we needed to do. So, you know, he knew that we would, we could be, you know, we could handle the job. Man, how much uh, how much do you make whenever you do like a tech job? Like, um, uh, like, because uh, I know how much I would make at times, but then yeah. s- the money was always like it would be this or be this, you know. I mean, Two I want to say I want to say for something like, I mean, for something like these theater gigs that by the end of it all, we were probably getting twenty five dollars an hour. Oh, nice! That's pretty good. You know, yeah. it was all right, but you know, I mean, it was for a, a weekend. Yeah. You know, so it was a nice, nice chunk of change, but you know, that's, it, it was kind of a, could be sporadic, you know, for things like you that. You get there at 4 a.m., you leave at 3 a.m. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, well, that's, I've, I've done those. Yeah. I've definitely sure. done those. That's overtime, right? Do they Something pay overtime? Like is it like a union no, thing or is it always no. just like, yeah, I would just pay. It's, it's always community theater. It was nice. always, you know, it was always just because it's good to be doing this kind of work. It's good to understand what it is to put in work passionate work for for something that you're you are creating with your own hands you know like all of these shows all the sets that we built you know we we built ourselves and we knew the quality of our own work and and you know it just it helped and those are those are elements that Walter definitely instilled in us was it always cool to see like a finished set like oh, the yeah. night of performance and stand back and see it all lit up and oh yeah oh yeah yeah that's cool it is it's it's bizarre. It's bizarre to see it and allow yourself to then be transfer, trans, transported by Jason Statham 
into <laughs> into the world. Yeah, you have to like get into it, and you're like, I built that thing, but you yeah. have to see it as this thing. Yeah, you know? yeah, it is. Mm. It is fun. Were the like two because I you know I've seen some really amazing sets. Yeah, and I've seen some really shitty sets. No, yeah. So was it always like? Like looking back on it and then having your expertise and on working on sets and seeing, you know, you know, how, how Broadway's work and stuff like that. Have you looking back on this, on the stuff that you guys would build on a scale from, okay, this is weird, but maybe on a scale from one to five, one being just the worst set. Um, and then a five being like a Broadway set, like something where people are putting millions of dollars into it. Okay. Where do you think, uh, the sets you guys were building? I'm trying to visualize what you guys would build if it's very simple, just blocks. Well, it depends. It, honestly, it, it kind of depends. <clears throat> um, we did build just blocks and just gray platforms for things like UIL, the vagina monologues. Well, you know, for yeah, yeah. I mean, it depends on what the what the design was, but you know, UIL theater competition for schools and stuff, they required to have just these plain things. So we did do things like that, but. Um, the set pieces were, you know, I mean, let's go, let's give us a one to 10. I okay, would say, 10, I would yeah, say, you know, a lot of the, the big show, like the big theater <laughs> set pieces we would build would probably be sevens. You oh, know? nice. Six, six That's and a half sevens. I mean, they were, they were pretty great. And a lot of it had to do with the, the backdrops um, and the, you know, the, the stuff that we would hang. And Walter's uh, quality control. And Walter's quality control. I mean, he would did making sure, and and a lot of the lighting. Walter was also somebody that taught me how to do lighting, and he would, uh, he would have a very lucrative recital season, man, because he would work for the theater building, but he gets a certain number of vacation days, so he would take vacation days, and then be the lighting director for a recital that was there in that same building. Damn, and so, I mean. Double dipping it, you know. Well, you can double dip. You can do back it. back when there weren't, you know, regulations against it at that point. That's what you got to do in the theater world, man. But that's you know, it's that's, <laughs> double dip that shit. You got to, <laughs> you got to. Um, yeah, I always thought that'd be so fucking rad to own a theater, yeah, and be able to put on whatever productions you wanted and like build the sets and. Well, it's like Quentin Tarantino. I mean, it's not a theater theater, but he owns the New Beverly. Uh, movie oh, theater cool. in Hollywood. So I mean, he literally gets to play whatever whatever thirty five millimeter print he can g- get his hands on. He can play whatever movie he wants. That's cool. It's cool. Hmm. It's cool. It's cool. Well, it'd be cool to have like a, you know a theater that you could that had a whole stage, and then you could drop a screen and have actual films. You know, but absolutely, it'd be so awesome to own a own a theater. How much do you think a theater would be like? Like in a town, like in the middle of somewhere Texas that has just this old abandoned theater or something. You know. Yeah, um, gosh, I I don't know, a million dollars. Can you imagine buying that and then turning it into your own studio, but it's not really necessarily, like you could use it for shows for the community, but yeah. at the same time, you would use it to film stuff and make I your would. own. How I crazy would. would that be? That'd Absolutely, be a- I, would, uh, I would definitely build out, man, that would be pretty cool. I would use the atrium as well. The, it's the like Grand what people Bull did when they came here, you know? Yeah. To start their studios. Yeah. That's insane to think about. I would love that. Just buy old warehouses or something, you know? That'd be intense. The Elf Tree uh, Media Network. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> That's what we need to do a DBA. EMN. When we do when we do a, a DBA, it should be it should be something a little bit more general. 
than Podcast Elf Tree Media Network. Yeah, something something along those lines. I mean, you have Elf Tree Publishing now. D- uh, d- yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. So, dude, yeah. like, okay, so you, so somehow, somehow, at this point, we've all lost a little bit of touch with Walter. Like, we see him from yeah. Time life time. goes on. You guys are getting older. You're doing your things. We are. We, you know, we've gone to college. We've all started working. Various things like that. Um, and Walter's done his own thing. Like he, he did, he did go to McKinney. He did kind of move himself in a more of an isolated area. Um, we just didn't necessarily make that that much of an effort at that moment for the reasons we've already discussed. Did he take the deck with him? He no. I was gonna, I was gonna go along with it, but no, no, <laughs> he didn't. Um, I remember when we sold Walter's house. Actually, I remember us packing everything up, and he had oh, wow. you know estate sales and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I remember. Was that hard for him? For him, um, yeah, like selling off his his stuff, like new chapter. I don't chapter. think so. I don't think so. I, you know, I, I, I think, I think it was a chapter he was ready for. He had been at the theater in Garland for since nineteen eighty three, and this must wow. have been two thousand and five that he moved. Wow, you know, that's a long like time. That. Maybe two thousand, maybe two thousand and and so twenty something years. You know, yeah, at least twenty years. I think he did get his twenty years in Garland. Um, then he moved out to McKinney, but he, he, part of, you know, part of the reason for the move to McKinney was for some land so that he could, you know, have the land and, and be able to give the dogs a place to, you know, be whenever he had more than one or two or three, however many dogs he ended up having. Enough space so that when he had to do the beatings, no one could hear. Yeah. Nobody could hear. He's all (laughs) isolated and alone. Um, what kind of dogs were they again? (laughs) They were minor Pyrenees. <laughs> they were okay Pyrenees. Okay Pyrenees. That's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the name of this, this episode. Um, Pyrenees. So, you know, all of a sudden, out of the blue, I think, you know, somehow I find out that Walter's got cancer. And I remember going to lunch with... No, I, it was... I. I don't know if why that's important, but I remember going to dinner with him once at a Chinese restaurant in Plano and just talking to him about it and not really knowing what to ask him because I'd never really had something like this happen. I mean, I'd had grandparents die before, but it again was just their time. It was, you know, they were getting sick and they were in their eighties and and everything, you know, that was just not natural, but you know, plus they were, was it a longer process kind of thing? Like when you like they're old, you know. Like well, grandparents yes, it, are old. It becomes so more that. of an expectation, not expectation, but it's it's not a new, it's not an uncommon thing. Some grandparents, not all grandparents, are that way. But sorry, old. Yeah, like to, just because someone's old doesn't mean they're old, you know. But some people who do Decrepit get old slow down, or something like that. Yeah, some sure, are very absolutely. peppy and absolutely. I mean, full of life, you know. Yeah, I mean, but they were also in England. That's a, a very major part of that story is that uh, the grandparents that I've had that have died in my lifetime have all been in England. Oh, so gotcha. there's already there's already been that distance, you know, behind that. Um, tea drinkers, my guess. They were. Oh, yes. They loved some tea. <laughs> Your mom loves tea, too. She does. She does. Tea is uh, tea is running through her veins. Tea time. It is. Golfers is totally, are trying totally to steal different. it. different. Yeah, exactly. Um. <laughs> Then let's see. Yeah, I didn't I didn't really know what to ask him when I was first talking to him about it. Uh so I just tried to have a normal conversation and 
you know, say, you know, that we should hang out and, you know, I need to come out and visit and everything like that, which, um, unfortunately I never really did, you know, yeah. we, I would, I would call a little bit more frequently than I would ever visit. And then we would work and he would, you know, have gigs and things like that. And, and I would go and, you know, be able to spend the time with him, see what he's up to, see the things, but also be working and, and getting paid and everything like that. So, you know, it was, uh, nostalgic. Yeah, I guess at that point because it had been a few years since we'd worked together in the Garland theaters and and everything. So how was, was he at that point compared you know, to? Um, well, like could you tell he was slowing down I at had, all? When or? I had dinner with him, let's see, what had he done? It was. I mean, he'd been through a little part of his treatment. Like he might have. He might have been through his first round of chemo or something like that. He was doing certain things. Like he got he got diagnosed, I believe, in March 2012. And um had various rounds of radiation and chemo and everything like that, but tried to keep working as much as he possibly could, and he did. Um I saw him get I mean, he looked fairly normal for a while. I saw him get a little bit thinner, but he, you know, he still looked fine. Then I saw him get really, really sickly looking because he that was when he was going through radiation. He shaved his head, he got really, really thin. Um I think he grew facial hair. Um yeah. but you know, I mean he looked like somebody who was going through cancer treatments. And this most of this I saw through through photos on Facebook. You know, I would see him every once in a while, but, um, and this is all, I didn't even realize this until afterwards. Um, this is all in the space of like six months. Hmm. You know, he, apparently that all happened pretty quickly. Um, then he got better and he was looking really good and, uh, he was on my mom's radio show. Um, and he recorded some stuff and I did a couple more work things with him. Oh, can we link uh, that show? Yeah, yeah. That'd be awesome. Yeah, we can do that. Um, I'd love to listen to that. I haven't heard it. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 great. I, I got a couple of things. But um, that was Thanksgiving, Christmas-ish, something like that. And then, wow. Oh, goodness. Okay. So I, I have to revise my statement slightly. Uh, yeah, I mean, you're thinking on a very weird time of yeah, life. Yeah, it's it, it, all, it all blurs. It all blurs together. But I actually saw these pictures the other day, so I have a definitive timeline for when this was. Um, when he was on my mom's radio show, he did not at all look the, like the same person. Um, most of his hair was white. He looked He looked 15 years older. I mean, he, he did not look great. Um, oh, so this is okay. So this is about nine months. So, so he's, he's gone through chemo and radiation, kind of gotten ill, you know, during it, but then kind of upswing, upswung, had an upswing. Yeah. Um, and started to look better and like he was going to, you know, be, be all right. And then come, you know, October, November, he just kind of started to settle into this this old 
weary, battle-worn, you know, kind of ghost of Walter hmm. uh, a little bit. Almost and, like an old, like, uh, Civil War. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Just That's the, what I was picturing when you said that. Like, you know, like I said, the you know, within a couple of months, it looked like he'd aged like 15 years. Wow. I, I could show you pictures. It's, you wouldn't, you wouldn't recognize him. Um, <clears throat> but Thanksgiving, he came over and had Thanksgiving over at our house with us. And we were taking advantage of the fact the whole family was together. We were going to take our Christmas photo. So we did that. Walter was the one who pushed the button so that we didn't have to do the timer or whatever. So Walter had to, you know, and then we took a picture of Walter with all the girls. So my mom and two sisters and Lindsay, my sister-in-law. And uh, then Walter with, the, with us guys. And uh, that's, those are the pictures I saw the other day. And that's, that's how I kind of can start to piece together. Because I remember these, these moments kind of vividly. Um, <clears throat> so this was the point in which Simon had just asked Lindsay to marry him at the state fair probably a month before Thanksgiving. And Walter was there for that too. Um, that's when he was kind of, that was the point at which we started to notice he's, he's starting to look, he's starting to, you know, kind of look weary again. You know, he'd looked good. All right. You know, and then October came around and we were just like, Hmm, let's keep an eye on this. And then by, by Thanksgiving, it was like, Oh my goodness. Like that. It was, um, Christmas came around. We saw him for Christmas. You know, he was still kind of looking weak, but not much worse. And then uh, Simon had Simon and Lindsay had a bridal shower, like a like a couple's joint bridal shower um, in February that year. It was early February. It was probably the first weekend in February. And Walter came out for that. And he looked he looked very, very ill. He had an oxygen tank. Oh man! His sister was with him because she was taking care of him, and I knew I knew he was he was going downhill. We kind of you know talked about it and and whatever to kind of be a little bit prepared. Um, so Walter came to the bridal shower and hung out with everybody, and I you know let Simon have his time with with Walter because they were very close. I have to mention that Simon and Walter were incredibly close from the get go. Um, you know, they were special, special, uh, like two peas in a pod almost. It was yeah. great. It was a great, it was a great thing to witness and it's a, an even greater relationship to, to, uh, see after the fact, you know, yeah. after it's, after it's, you know, conclusion. Well, to know how special your friendship was with him and then to know that everyone had this special place in all of the, you know, yeah. Yeah. You each shared your own personal yeah, yeah. piece of Walter, you know? Well, I mean, Walter was, Walter was definitely Simon's second dad type of, that's, that's the place Walter had for Simon in his heart. But, um, I think the next day I went out to see Walter at his house and he was, I, he's had big oxygen tanks in the house and he had these long oxygen cords that would stretch the length of the house so that he could kind of hobble himself around. I say that because that's really all he was doing, um, hobbling himself around. But he came to the door and opened the door, and I was like, dude, 
we need, you need to go and sit back down. Like we we need to just, I'll come in like, we'll just, we'll chill. But like, you didn't have to come open the door, man. Um, cause he was like, he was feeling it. Like he was breathing yeah. really heavy and everything. And, um, that was the point. This is, this is like early February. That was the point in which he said that, um, in like late September, the doctors had told him that he probably had about 18 months. And so that was right around the time, you know, that September, October, where he started to decline again. Um, and so here it is February. So that left him at about, you know, 12 ish months, 12 or 13 months by their estimations and everything. And I was just kind of like, man, that's okay. 12 months. I really have got to make this effort. This is, this is, you know, this could be it. Like I got to try and do this. And then like three weeks later, um, my parents say that Walter had been taken to the hospital because Terry fear, who's a, he's a very gentle giant of a man. He's, he's great. Um, had been to visit Walter and Walter was not well and had a, uh, like some sort of coughing fit or something like that, that required the need for an ambulance. And you gotta, we gotta go to the hospital, take him to the hospital. He just could not breathe. And my parents said, we're, we're going up to the hospital. We have to, you know, we're, we're going to go see Walter. He's, you know, taken kind of a, a turn. We just want to go see and just see how he's doing. I was at Dallas, and I say at Dallas, like I don't know how to use words, you know, and <laughs> the, say show. the city that I'm in. I was working on the show Dallas at the time. They were shooting, and so I uh, I was like, okay, well, whenever I'm done here, because I expected to be done probably, you know, 10, 10 o'clock or something like that downtown, I was like, I'll go to the hospital, because he was at a, a hospital in McKinney. And so I did. I went out there. And I, I guess I tried to prepare myself. I didn't know exactly what I was there to expect because, you know, Walter was sick, but I mean, he had 12 months left, you know? Yeah. Like it wasn't time yet. Yeah. And, uh, I get there and, you know, I mean, everything's real serene in a hospital at Mm -hmm. night. All the lights are off and it's just like. Yeah, you know, it's, stale. It's all supposed, yes, very stagnant, very stale. Yeah, it's very crisp. Uh, it's it's odd. It's odd, but okay. I really wouldn't want a hospital at night to feel much different. I wouldn't want it to feel creepy. No, like a haunted. You house know, like or a, like an abandoned hospital. Yeah, like, is know. it safe to put the to put people on that dusty? Yeah, <laughs> aren't they going to catch something? Yeah. Um, but <laughs> I go in there, and he's he's got a. He's got a what they call an avatar mask on. Oh, yeah. Can you, can yeah, you yeah. imagine what that looks like? Oh, yeah. It's the clear pl- like thing that covers your face. Whole face. And uh, it was... <coughs> Does it have a tube coming out the bottom? It did. Is that where it is? It did, yeah. yeah. Um, it, was, it was literally having to force air into his lungs, you know, through this mask, like... He could he could take it in. He could open his airways, but this machine had to push the air into into his lungs. Um, 
And it's like 11 o'clock at night by this point, and I'm there with my parents and Terry and his wife, Mary Jo. And my parents, you know, kind of, they hang out for a little bit because they've been there, you know, a couple hours by this point. Um, And they take their leave, and I'm just kind of taking over for them. And I I get the opportunity to talk to to Terry and Mary Jo, and, and neither one of them... Neither one of them think it looks really good. And again, this is kind of my first experience with stuff like this. But I kind of, I assess the situation myself and I'm like, you're probably right. Because I saw him, I'd seen him a couple weeks before and he didn't look great. And seeing him like that right now, I'm like, this is the moment I believe anything can happen. Were you guys getting uh, like any updates while you were there from the doctors or anything, or was it just kind of? By that point, the doctors had all gone home. There was really nothing that that knew that could be done up until you know the doctor came the next morning. Um, so you know they were just trying to keep him you know comfortable. They you know switched out. They gave him these like little sponge swabs that he could dunk in a cup of water and swab around his mouth because he couldn't swallow because you know it's it's. Uh, yeah, he it, it was it was, was odd. He, um, was he having conversation at all? Well, he was he was kind of sedated and sleeping most of the time because it was very difficult and painful for him to breathe. Um, but he he was he was conscious enough that when he was awake and wanted to talk, you know, he could. But most of the time, he just probably just let it just resting. Yeah, he just let it take over and sleep because he just needed to. Or or maybe he meditated. Maybe he maybe he literally took himself to a place where he didn't have to feel the pain. His body just just did the breathing, you know, just focused on on making breathing even possible. Um, and so I I talked to to Terry and Mary Jo, and I you know they're just. We're talking about how Rebecca's going to be flying in. Rebecca lives here in Los Angeles and that she was going to be flying in the next morning. And uh, Tim, Rebecca's brother, had already been there earlier in the day. So Tim got to see Walter. And then I came to see Walter. And, and I was like, okay, well, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll call Simon in the morning. I'll, I'll tell Shelby and Cameron that, you know, they should probably come out because, you know, it may be a couple of days, but that, you know, you don't have much more time than that because everybody, myself included, had been kind of pushing off going to really make efforts to see Walter, um, especially Simon. Simon had a lot on his plate. Simon, had, like I said, just asked Lindsay to marry him. So he had a lot of wedding plans to do to yeah. deal with. Um, had a lot of, of work things to deal with. I mean, they were just, you know, they were busy people. The lives just this don't stop. They can't stop. Yeah, for sure. Um, so that night I, I was glad to get the opportunity to go, but I, I needed to encourage them, you know, to, to, uh, you know, to make the effort pretty quickly. And I was that difficult for me to tell them that, yeah, like um, having that conversation. Well, kind of, but I mean, it, it happens the next day. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you about that. Um, I, stayed there till like four in the morning because you know Walter was there 
and I, I wasn't tired. I just wanted to be there. So I was there till four in the morning and then I, uh, uh, time came to, to say goodbye and, you know, tell him I would be back, you know, tomorrow. And he took his mask off and we were talking and I just told him, I was like, Walter, I want you to know that I am, I am very grateful for the man that you have helped make me because without you, I, there's a lot about me that I don't know that I'd know about myself. And he said something along the lines of how proud he was at the people that we had all turned out to be. And he was referring to, you know, me and Simon and Cameron and Shelby and, and all the fear kids and everything like the people that we have, we've grown up to be at this point. He was, he was very proud and, uh, very happy for us. And I, uh, I got to my car and I just, I don't know. I just said <sighs> something along the lines of, of, I think you can let him go now. Like I was just kind of pleading with whatever's out there and just saying, I was like, he's, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know that it was like he's, he's been through enough or something like that. I just, I, I just knew that I knew that that was, it wasn't going to be long. So the next morning I, I called, um, I called Simon cause I had had to run up to Dallas early in the morning to grab some things. And then I was coming back. It was probably one o'clock in the afternoon. And I, uh, I had called Simon earlier in the day and I was like, dude, you really should go see Walter, you know, cause he's in the hospital and everything. And Simon said, I, I I'll try and go see him either. If not today, I'll go see him tomorrow. I promise I'll, you know, this and that. And I, I had to leave it at that because I can't control my brother. I can't, you know, make him do whatever he's not ready to do or doesn't want to do. But at about one o'clock, I get in my car and I'm heading over there and I get a call from my dad. And it's he said, we got a call from Terry. I don't know that Walter's doing well. You know, more than he already wasn't doing. Well, right, right. You know, because it was like, well, no shit. But yeah, now it's just like, oh, but, man. Um, no, but he, it was just one of those things. So I called Terry. No, I didn't. I called Simon. And I said, I said, Simon, I really think this is the moment that you need to go up to, up to um, the hospital. I, I think you and Lindsay have to do that. And he was angry. He was irritated that I, I was insisting. Um, but I, I heard him like, I heard him give in cause I knew, I knew at that moment he was frustrated that he gave in and I didn't know why, but I found out, um, I'm driving. I end up hearing, like I called Terry who's up at the hospital still. And he's like, yeah, I, I called, I called the cooks, Cameron and Shelby are on their way. And I was like, all right, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm on my way. I told Simon and my parents and everything. And then I hear in the, I hear in the background, just some commotion, just people start to talk with elevated pace and elevated volume. And Terry gets this confusion in his voice. And he said, Ian, I, Ian, I got to go. I've got to go. This is happening. 
this is happening. And he hangs up. And I realized at that moment that Walter had died right there while I was on the phone with Terry. Like that was what had happened was he had taken his mask off because he didn't want it on anymore. And that's when everybody, all the nurses were saying, no, 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 you got to put this back on. You got to, you got to do this. And he was fighting them off and saying, no, I don't want this. And that's when Terry was like, I got to go. This is something's happening. This is happening. And, you know, very shortly thereafter, you know, he would have, he would have probably died not peacefully. Cause I'm, I imagine it was a struggle to like, he's suffocated mm-hmm. essentially, which is tough to think about. But, but he chose he chose how he wanted to go. That he way. was he was ready. He was it at was, peace. It was his point. Yes, he was at peace. He even chose, though, even though it was probably not <sighs> peaceful. Fuck, that's some ballsy ass shit. Yeah, I never actually considered it like that until you just said that. <sighs> Jesus but, Christ. Yeah, yeah. Um, Man, that is that's intense, <laughs> dude. I was ten minutes away. Oh man. Yeah, I was like ten minutes away when it happened, and. Uh, so do they do, like in that situation? How do they how do they give in? How do the nurses and doctors like? They I mean at that point they're just like this. He gets to choose this. He does. He does get to choose it. I mean, and there were witnesses. There were people there. There yeah. were you know family members and everything. They could clearly say this is his will. He he does not. He no longer wants this. This is you know what he wants. And you know he did, and. I got there and saw Terry and he was, he was definitely crying and it's, uh, it's odd. It's odd to see a man that is a, you know, uh, an elder, somebody that I've known for a long time Mm -hmm. to see him just crying almost uncontrollably at the loss of a very, very dear friend. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I just I walked in the, the, the hallway with him for a minute and then uh, I got a text message from Simon saying, what floor? And I told him and I walked over to the I walked over to the uh, to the elevators and. He walked out and. He was I could tell he was like shaking. And he he asked me, he's like, did I miss it? And I said, I said, yeah. I said he he you know I was so apologetic I could not I could not feel more sorry for my brother to lose one of the closest people next to my parents to him ever yeah. and uh he collapsed you know and I I I mean I know Lindsay was there and she you know she she did what she could she did what she could, and she she comforted him and 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 everything. But then I went over and, like, well, in a ball on the hospital floor, like I just you know he was up against the wall, and I just grabbed him and hugged him and just kind of, just sat there with him because this was this was this was big. This was a big thing, and it was weird, you know. It was. I'll tell you what was weird. It was weird seeing him. I'd never seen a dead body before. Yeah. And for it to be somebody that I had just seen, you know, somebody that I grew up with and all that, it was, um, it was odd, but it was definitely not him anymore. 
which was cool because the last thing I do then get to remember is Walter telling me how proud he was. Yeah. The next thing I saw was what used to be Walter, but, you know, is now cremated and scattered somewhere, you know, which is, which is great, you know, cause I know who Walter was. Isn't that interesting how when someone passes away, you kind of know, like, doesn't that say something when you see somebody? Because, I, you know, I lost my best friend in college, one yeah. of my best friends in college, and he, um, like, looking at his body, I knew he was not there. Yeah. Which says a lot, you know, like, when people know that, that says a lot about our souls and what that means, you know, it's and how deep that goes. That's there's like this. You don't have to do any practice to feel that. You know what I mean? Because you can feel that like you, you know, it if if you don't know about anybody else, you know it about yourself. Mm-hmm. You know that without this awareness and presence of me, all I am like if you cut this hand off, the only thing that you would be able to recognize as Ian's hand would be fingerprints, and that's just recognizing a pattern that for anybody, for all we know, could be anybody's pattern. Or this tattoo on my hand, which yeah. again could be anybody's tattoo. Things that make me me or my personality and the way I choose to be aware of the reality around me. For sure, absolutely. And and without that, I'm just a I'm just a bag of bones. How um how long after when he passed did you guys have the funeral and what was that like? Like, what did you guys do? Like, how did you, did you all come together at your house? Whose house did y'all get together at her? Um, we, the funeral was, let's see, Walter died on the 27th. We had the funeral on the third, which is Simon's birthday. Oh, wow. Ironically. Yeah. Um, so, you know, fairly quickly, four days. Something like that. Um, it was at a funeral home that was actually right across the street from his old house in Garland. Oh, wow. A place that we all knew very well. You know, we just oh. we drove down that street all the time. Um, That's trippy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we had the funeral service there. Um, you know, and people that people got up, a lot of people got up and not, no, excuse me, I won't say a lot of people. The people that did speak were people that Walter knew Later on in life, out in like McKinney and Louisville when he was living and working, um, there was a uh, an Episcopal priest there that I didn't know that Walter had gone back to church. You know, uh, one of his bosses, like a, a, a good colleague, a friend of his from his theater in Louisville, was there and everything. But you know, none of the none of the younger, none of us or or the theater people or anything like that really spoke. Uh, and then the reception was at the theater that we met him at, you know, wow. in Garland. Uh, I had, man, I had put together a slideshow because it happened. Gosh, it happened. He died. Simon was the first to arrive, realized he was too late. Shelby and Cameron were the next to arrive and realized they were too late. I believe. Something like that. And then uh, a little shortly thereafter, Rebecca showed up. And, you know, very, I mean, still in the hospital waiting room, we had to start figuring out certain 
things that were going to be happening, oh, yeah. like where the, th- the funeral could be and all that kind of stuff. And it really wasn't our responsibility. It was, her, it was his sister's responsibilities. And they did take care of all of that. But, you know, everybody was kind of involved. In yeah, it. you're banding together. This is everybody's Yeah, situation. everybody contributed a lot of pictures. And I, I did a, a couple slideshow things, um, which I combined... Two of his favorite songs he did, he really liked uh, Israel Kamawawuli, I think is how you pronounce his name. I don't know. But Iz, he's a a big old it, uh, Hawaiian, you know, singer, hula singer, you know, ukulele player. He's passed on, but he did a, this crazy beautiful version of Somewhere Over the Rainbow. Oh, yeah. It's I've an heard island this. song. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Yes, this is a great song. That's a great tune, man. Um, that and Margaritaville. Oh, like, okay, nice. His, yeah, you know, yeah. Walter was a very island personality. Um, but did this slideshow with those songs because there were a lot of pictures. <laughs> and then... Um, little, so if he got marooned to an island, he would definitely want a Margaritaville. He would. He would want a Margaritaville <laughs> with awesome. IZ yeah. singing Somewhere Over the Rainbow. That's cool. Um and yeah, the intercut that with a little snippets of, of him on my mom's radio show and things like that. But that played in the big theater. Um, and, you know, the whole, like everybody got up and, you know, said some things and did their own stuff. It was like a celebration? It was. It was more of a celebration. Like there were a lot of people there. There were a lot nice. of, yeah, yeah, everybody was. And we, uh, we all dressed up for the funeral service, like ties and stuff like that. And then, for the uh, reception at the theater, the four of us all uh, switched over into Hawaiian shirts. Oh, nice! Because that's what Walter really would have worn. Nice, you know. So we we did that, and yeah, so he was a Hawaiian shirt guy. He was. He was. He was definitely the Bahama, Bahama. Was it Tommy Bahama ba- Mama? Tom, Tommy Bahama. Oh, you know, type of type of shirt. Oh yeah, it's like a tourist just, kind of short like yeah. shop. It's expensive stuff. He loves. He loved uh, things like that. Yeah. Dude, yeah. that's cool. My dad likes clothes like that. He yeah. likes uh, tropical shirts. Yeah, yeah, button-ups. yeah. That's so, awesome, man. Yeah, that's uh, that was man. But it was it was later on. Let's see, it was later on that year that I uh, I became aware of uh, perceiving my memories as nothing but just perceptions, the same as the perception like I perceive you in front of me right now because I can see you. And my brain is perceiving and interpreting the signals I'm getting and creating an image of what you look like yeah. in front of me right now. Mm-hmm. So how is that any different than the memories that I create? Because my brain perceives it as if it's a memory already, even when it's in the present. So how does that make any of my memories of somebody's personality and the kind of conversations we would have any less real to my brain? Yeah. And I was like, huh. I should I should try that. I should think about things like that. Yeah. And so every once in a while, you know, I, I like to journal a lot. And uh, every once in a while, I'll just, you know, write an open letter to Walter, just give nice. him, you know, my thoughts. Nowhere to send it. No, yeah, you know, yeah, no, yeah. no real purpose. But it's, it's my way of kind of having a conversation with him and, and kind of keeping his presence around because he always makes me laugh. Yeah. It's always it, – part of it might have to do with the fact that I'm, you know – imagining a conversation with somebody that's, you know, not physically tangibly here in front of me anymore. Right. Um, but I, I don't care. I, I really think that 
I really think that things like that and the memory of people, that's how people live on. That's how you keep somebody's memory alive. You don't just remember them for things. You don't, you, you kind of take their, you take their presence into, into your consciousness, your, your, your brain. Like they're as much as they're a part of you when they're around, you know, their, their energy should be able to continue to be a part of you. I don't know. I always think about how crazy it is. Just if you think of like, like you do with Walter, like all your memories with him, but like you just take any, any memory you have on anything. Yeah. And just to be able to remember that is pretty incredible. Yeah. And then it's incredible to to realize whatever that situation was in that present time was enough to ingrain itself in your memories. Yes. So you like, like when I think of Nashville, there's images that come to my mind of, of places, things that I like to, to see, like the perfect moment of the winter time, like my favorite winter out in Nashville. You know yeah. what I mean? Like little yeah. things like that. Yeah. And it's incredible when you do that with people, especially people that pass on. And it almost, it almost just makes you realize like, yeah, I mean, there's something that is beyond anything that we can fucking understand Yeah, with what drives us to even like sit here and have this conversation. Why are we sitting here? You know, ultimately it's like, our consciousnesses are, you know, if you took all of our skin away and it was just our brains and then our nervous system dangling like an alien. They're just orbs of light. It's orbs of light. Yeah. That's basically what is happening. But and if we if we did that and we were just orbs of light, what is light? And who's to stop somebody else's orb of light from just being there? Oh, Why can't Walter's dude. orb of light just be hovering right Absolutely. here? Absolutely. I mean, who's to say it's not? Like... There's no way I would be able to remember all these all these details if I didn't actively, you know, grasp onto the memory of of what it was that was going on. Well, I mean, that in and of itself is is stimulating those memories in a way that my brain is interpreting them the same way that it interpreted them the day that I it actually happened. It's like if uh it's like having this conversation now, like me and me thinking of this conversation tomorrow. It'll yes. be the same. I'll have a memory of like, oh man, that was cool hearing this or hearing this. And it's the same exact energy of, you know what I mean? Like interaction within myself yes. of like, oh, you know, I don't know how to explain that, but it's, that's, that's okay. Biologists do. Well, no, I mean, whether they, they got that under yeah, wrap. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's like the moment something's comes out of your mouth, like yes. in the inception of a, of a memory yeah. is the, the experience you share right now. And then the memory is after you start reflecting on it. And obviously the two are separated by time, I guess. Time. But at the same time, ah. you know, uh, it was always just in your head anyway, even in the moment it happened. Me talking and you perceiving the things that I'm saying is nothing more than data digital data in my head coming out an analog interpretation in yeah interpretation <laughs> it's, into, it's too <laughs> into an analog receiver yeah to then be re-digitally interpreted I'm assessing by the brain. things you say yes and vice versa i mean that's what's incredible about conversations dude it's two consciousnesses floating around and all of a sudden for for this brief moment of time you decide to sit and one shares information, the other one receives it 
Then the other one takes that information, decides what to do with it, sends it back. And you essentially have these conversations like we're having about just cr- like digging into memories. Yeah. Digging into things that help shape you and ter- and move you along in this fucking life we live, you know? And then just thinking, like trying to put yourself in someone's shoes like Walter and go, man, like that guy was just like our age now. Yeah. He was at this moment in his age and then he what lived so many doing? more years and then he just... He has this breakdown in his body and his spirit's ready to go and it yeah. goes and he's ready and he comes at pe- comes to peace with it, you know? And All told from when he was diagnosed to when he passed was less than a year. Wow. I mean, yeah. that's fuck, dude. It happened very quickly. I mean, I mean, yeah, I don't. Yeah. I'm, I'm coming up on a year here, living yeah. here, and I'm just like putting that into perspective. It'd be like if you drop dead right now. Drop, drop dead for a... Drop Dead Fred. <laughs> Remember that movie? I do. I do. I mean, dude, that's just. But I keep him. I keep him alive as much as possible because he's always gonna be. He's he's a very big part of me, and you know, I mean, my brother's got his last voicemail that he ever left, uh, and this was like very shortly after the. Uh, I think it was after the bridal shower. Walter left him a voicemail saying, "It's like." <laughs> Why don't you come see me? I'm starting to think you don't love me anymore. <laughs> All right, call me back. Bye. And that's the last voicemail Walter ever left, but my brother keeps it. Yeah. Keeps it around. And uh it's, you know, just this last little this last little moment. You know. And I, I, I know this is like um cuz you you came to peace with everything. Do you has has everyone else come to their own peace with it? Is it been like a is it still a very difficult thing to think about or is it more? Uh... No, I don't think it's a difficult thing for anybody to think about. I think it's actually something that we celebrate when the times that we do think about it. Like, you know, I mean, a- as silly as it may sound, whenever I get the opportunity, I say get, whenever I, I find myself thinking about Walter in a way that, you know, kind of touches me or, or inspires me for something, um, I I choose to even though even though yes it's a painful there's a tinge of pain because he's no longer here um I always use the opportunity to call it a visit you know because it's an inspired moment from a memory of somebody that again all of my perceptions are being perceived the exact same way as a memory is so it's a, an inspired moment from Walter as if he was just standing right there. So Walter visited or Walter, you know. Do you ever see Walter in your dreams? Um, I really have not remembered or recalled my dreams in a long time. So maybe, maybe, but I, I don't know them. And I, I, I'd like to get back to that. I'd like to, I'd like to understand uh, more about how to, to be more perceptive of my dreams. There's, like, there's a lot of th- different things you can do to like get yourself back into a practice. Hmm. Um, there's different, there's a lot of different ways, yeah. but it's almost just repeating images in your head before you go to sleep. Like thinking about your day, hmm. imagining what you're doing, and then literally just writing your own story while your eyes are closed. And then you eventually kind of interesting blend into that. Now, I'm going to try that. Thinking a lot about, uh, like if you want to dream about specific things, you just think about them uh, before you go to bed kind of thing you know Mm. excellent 
Excellent. I'm going to give that a it's, shot. Yeah. I mean, there's like, I mean, uh, there's probably better explanations as well, to sure. do it if you're trying to do it. Cause I, man, I literally, there's big periods of time where I won't remember my dreams. Yeah. And then I'll intentionally start thinking about just let my brain run when I close my eyes. When I'm like fucking tired, I'll listen to podcasts. Nice. Or I'll, I'll watch a movie or something. Uh, like, just get myself to the very edge of sleeping, yeah. falling asleep. Yeah. And then I shut everything off and I just start imagining stuff and uh, just thinking about what I was watching and then going into that. And then you I pretty much, yeah. So don't, I try not to watch anything too crazy because I don't ever have nightmares. I get crazy. Well, I never have nightmares ever. So well, the last time I had one was when I was like a fucking kid, dude. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was like a Chucky doll. Yeah, it's been a little while for me. Wasn't a Chucky doll, was it? No, no. Uh, Mine were always very cerebral. Man. Not a whole lot of uh, not a whole lot of concrete things to scare me. It was more just the the tangible the tangible representation of fear itself. That is the best way for me to describe it. Isn't it interesting that dreams when you're a kid? You're still solo in your dream. Like you're still just you. Yes. No matter how much you're around your family, you've got siblings, you rely on other people in your life. In a dream, it's still you experiencing. Yes. Isn't that crazy? It is crazy. That's that's where one of my ideas has come from. My 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 movie ideas, which I, I think I've told you about. Yes. But I'm not gonna spoil it on the air. I well I was my next question was how much are you gonna talk about? No, it? <laughs> no none of it. None of it. Yeah. But yeah, I mean dude, I would I, like to. I would like to. That that might be something that I could uh I could kinda work on as, you know, you know seeing my seeing if I can manifest some certain dreams and then uh see if I can manifest Walter. I in, mean in a dream or two. Dude, I'll tell you what, man. I uh well I've had my buddy who passed away, I've had several dreams where he's just, and I haven't, like, I think about him all the time. Yeah. But I wouldn't say that it's anything that I'm hung up on. It's just like, they're always good memories. Like, when I think of something, it's yeah. like, oh, man, you know, even a joke or ma- like making a voice a certain way or whatever. Um, but just randomly, dude, I'll have a dream and he'll be there like in the nice. dream and it's just brief. They're always brief moments. It's never these long adventures of it just hanging out. It's always just a quick little, hey, what's going on? Like one yeah. that I remember I was in a, um, like an old cabin mm-hmm. with a bunch of bunk beds, empty. I It was only my sleeping bag and then he had a sleeping bag on another <sighs> bed. And I didn't know whose it was. I was just in there sitting. I just was sitting on this bed. I just That's all I remember in the dream. And yeah. then he came in and sat on the bed across, and we just fucking talked. I don't even nice. remember what we talked about. Nice. But uh, I remember waking up, dude, and it was like, I just fucking saw him. Yes. You know, that's what I felt oh, when I woke isn't up. Isn't that great? It's, it's, it's different than a memory. It's it is. like... There's Dreams. something else that opens up inside your your brain or the consciousness of our spirit that literally connects to some some energy, man. It's fucking insane to me. I'd be incredibly embarrassed at some of the dreams that I've had if they were and truly were representations of, of elements of my consciousness. It's just a wet dream, man. You don't have to be all. Yeah, I mean, that's it's embarrassing in reality. <laughs> you know, I don't need to be embarrassed in dream reality, too, you know. Dude, dreams are crazy, man. I mean, gosh, yeah. Especially... 
That is weird. It's like if you don't, like speaking of wet dreams, it's like if you don't masturbate for a while, your body literally, you'll put yourself in a dream to where all of a sudden it's like, no, no, we, you it's, gotta empty. it's time to empty the tanks. You got to And you, you just fucking... Oil change. Yeah, yeah. It's like we're... oh. <laughs> The boys have been working overtime making this stuff, and it's usually out of the out of the warehouse. But you don't what's appreciate going on? it. <laughs> uh, what's going on, business rough? What's happening here? No, but no, dude. That's it's. I, I'm glad you shared this because I I didn't really know. Yeah, Man, I mean, it's it's just uh, you know, it's like I said, it's something that we we those of us that have good memories and good perceptions of who Walter was, we we think about a the appropriate times and not, and I say appropriate, but like the times that we do think about him, we appreciate those times very much. We don't necessarily just need the one day a year to commemorate the day that he died. It's just something that happened to be on a calendar that I saw, you know, it just kind of, it's, it's been on my mind. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, I, 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 I'm glad to have, you know, shared the story because a lot of, I think a lot of what I talked about was the, the very positive, influence Walter out of my life. So, you know, that, that trumps any of this, you know, last year of life, you know, negative cancer bullshit. Cause I know the Walter went out his own fucking way. He I bet you Walter's ass. in here right now and just totally floating around. Whoop, whoop. Yeah. <laughs> Walter, uh, Walter was a great guy, man. He was awesome. Well, I wish I could have met this Walter. Yeah. He sounds like an incredible human being. Yeah. He was. Anyone who's willing to hang out with, uh, Bunch of little bastards who were just we, wanting to learn how to build shit. We were fuck ups. <laughs> yeah, we were like the that's bad so cool. news bears. <laughs> he whipped us into shame. Dude, that's so cool, man. <laughs> well, uh, if anybody's out there still listening after you know this like really heartfelt, uh, you know, just emotional. It wasn't really emotional. No, I mean you're sharing a pretty epic story about somebody's your experience with someone. It, it shows you the power of like. How much human beings can love another another consciousness? Yeah, like, that is fucking insane. Like that's whether, amazing. Whether they're famous or have you know any sort of net value or anything like that, there are people in everybody's life who will mean more than any of that. He's a very he's peop, It's when someone's a piece of your life. Yeah, there he's a piece of your life. He was. He is. He is. He is still a piece of a piece of my life, and I'm <coughs> and I'm very grateful to have had him. That's awesome, for man. sure. And I'm know? sure he would say the the same and ten billion times more back at you. Man, I'd be waiting a long time. You know I'd what I mean? Like, hey, Walter, <laughs> we got to wrap this up, bro. <laughs> but I mean, can you imagine now, like, 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 watching someone grow and become like that's? I kind of felt that way a bit with Jordan, man. Like, yeah, just seeing him become such a badass. Dude. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, fuck, dude. That guy lived so many more years and got to experience so many of those situations, you know? So yeah, that's just super cool, man. It's it's great. I learned a lot from him, and I I will take I will take all of that forward. Hell yeah, that's for sure. That's all you can do, right? That is all I can do. A do 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 a da 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 dun dun. That's like the end of the show. I don't know. The, well, the theme music is is playing in the background. Dude, did I ever play you uh, the song I wrote for my buddy, Matt? Um, it was when he passed away. I'll, I'll play you this song. Yeah. The 
Yeah. That was great. Yeah, that's crazy, man. Like, uh, they end up playing that every year for his anniversary. Nice. So it's, it's intense that that song became such a big piece of <laughs> right. that. Right, right. Oh, we got some bleed over. Got some bleed over. Had to we stop. Had to, we had to stop the bleeding. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> uh, yeah, Joe's Joe's got to stop the 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 blood everywhere. He's got to he's got to clean up the studio. There's uh, blood all over the place, and 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 and. and. So then, uh, I guess for this week on oh, high there. Yeah, man. For this, this was a, a somber one. It was, but all not no. I take that back. This wasn't somber. This was. This was in depth, man. Thanks for taking me through this journey, man. I I feel like, Damn. I don't know. That's this was all new to my ears. It was. It was. So. Thank you. That was uh, last year was the first year, and it was just one that you know kind of was decompression. Everything was just kind of experiencing what it had been like, and now it's a an opportunity to to you know remember him in the appropriate way and and push forward with him you know and and just with his with his his ideals and his memory and all that so so we dedicate this to Walter to Walter Lemons yeah well done what a badass break a leg he he broke a leg he broke a he broke a leg and ching <laughs> ching, <laughs> ching. that's it <laughs> are you saying chink no, uh, he would do this thing when he would do when he would do uh, uh, recitals because they were so boring. Oh, you know, he would just he would sit there and pretend to count coins that fall from the sky. <laughs> Ching. That's because I mean, every like second that video goes game. by is technically you know uh. more money in his pocket. You know? <laughs> I mean, that's that's what kept him going. So, <laughs> oh. That's genius shit, dude. So yeah, that was uh, that was that was Walter's wit right there. <laughs> so with that, oh, for this week on High Dare, I'm Ian, and I'm Joe, and Chink, Chink, <laughs> we, we gotta, gotta go. Follow us on Twitter at high underscore dare. And be sure to check us out online at intertheelftree.com for all you old school dot comers. 